We'll open it up to Acts 9. We're continuing to, to walk through the Acts, and we'll be uh, hopefully getting through the first half of it by coming through the spring. And uh, we're going to cover today the, the conversion of the Apostle Paul. At this time, he's called Saul, which is his Hebrew name. Paul is his most well-known name, his Greek name. And if you think of redemptive history, you know, go back all the way to the beginning of creation, and of course, right after the creation, Genesis 3, there's the fall. And if you go all the way to the end, you go to Revelation, you think about when Jesus returns and restores things. In my opinion, I, I feel like the conversion of Paul might be one of the big highlights, like big events of that timeline. I mean, I mean surely we would say that uh, Abraham getting called by God, huge deal, huge deal. And of course, he promised Abraham that, you know, the, the promise of the people that, that are going to number the, the stars. And he also talked about, through your people, the entire world is going to be blessed. So there's this mysterious idea of how through God's chosen people, God was going to bless the entire world. And I think the Apostle Paul, as God's apostle to the Gentiles, as a Gentile, and I think most of the people in this room, I know that Michelle, Olga, I don't know if there's any other people that would consider them, you know, our Jewish background, but most of us Americans, American church, we're, we're Gentiles. We, we are part of the thread of what God did and the promise that God made to Abraham to bless the entire world. And, and so I think of this event as a significant, significant one, and it is an amazing conversion, and, and those of you who know the story, it's just incredible. Um, but, but I think that the pattern of what happens with the Apostle Paul actually is my life as well. It's, it's the same, same kind of thing. And in, in fact, if you, I've got a, um, a slide up here that kind of gives the outline of this text. And I think that this, this is an outline for all of our lives as well. And in fact, if you thought of, you know, so we got this redemptive history, of, a, a timeline throughout history. Well, there's the life of the Apostle Paul himself, his life, birth to his death, and Christ working in his life. But there's also my life. I, I had a start, and there was a point where God got a hold of me and changed my life, you as well. And then I think there's also today, the timeline of today. So think of those three major layers as historical time and God's work redemptively through, throughout history. And then there, there's your life. Start of your life, you don't know the end, but looking into the future, and then there's today. And, and I think that this pattern of going the wrong way, Jesus intervening, changing direction with help, and then getting on mission for, for God, I think that's our lives. I think that is the Christian life. And um, I hope that everyone in this room is saved. I hope that you have discovered Jesus but if you have this, you, you know how it is. I mean, we struggle. I mean, like we, we sang with that song. I mean, it's like we, we, t- we tend to go the opposite way. If we, if we rest, we coast, it's headed downhill. We don't, we don't slack our way towards sanctification. We don't, you know, coast towards a better life. I mean, it's, we just naturally go the wrong way. That's the bent of our lives. And, and we're going to see from this, I think, just an incredible, incredible story. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And this is Paul going the wrong way. Of course, here he references Saul. But Saul, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Remember, we got introduced to him earlier. He was a big wig in Jerusalem, a young guy who's in training and learning to be a Pharisee. Um, and he basically takes it on his shoulders that I'm going to be the guy that eradicates this new thing, um, this wrong thing. And so he's been, they started a persecution that kicked off with Stephen, and then it goes throughout Jerusalem. And now he's got these papers. He's headed beyond that. He's got, he asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, in other words, that's what they were calling uh, Christianity at that time, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this guy is on the warpath to, to eradicate this. And he's got letters from the authorities that he can show to people. Like, I've got the required paperwork so that I can arrest these people and drag them back to Jerusalem. Now, I mean, again, growing up as an American uh, in the church as a kid, you know, grew up all, all through my life going to church. Uh, I was telling Michelle earlier about uh, reading the Picture Bible. I don't know if anybody remember the Picture Bible um, I, I don't know how long that thing's been out, but I mean, I still have distinct memories of my dad reading that thing to me. Um, uh, I, I, I just completely a Christian Gentile perspective on the world. And, um, uh, you know, I always thought of, you know, you know, the Jewish people and faith as almost a different religion in a way. But I think if you were to look at what he's doing here, and if you were to put yourself in the Apostle Paul or Saul, excuse me, at this time's shoes, I think there's some really good reasons to justify his behavior. Um, you know, my, my, my own Bible reading, I just read through, I'm in Numbers, and there's this guy named Phineas. He's, I think, the grandson of, of Aaron, and he takes it on himself to, 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 to kill, violently kill these two people to, to stop uh, this uh, worship of these other gods to end this plague that God had brought on the people of Israel. In other words, not following God was deadly to them. I mean, they understood the severity of, like, the pain that, that it caused Israel over and over and over and over for not following God. So from one perspective, I think we can appreciate that the Apostle Paul is, like, he's eager to eradicate this thing that he believes is absolutely wrong. The, um, a number of years ago, uh, my, we were watching, I think it was America's Funniest Videos, and uh, we watched that a lot as a family. And my oldest daughter, Emma, I think she might have been eight or nine, Rachel, does that sound right? Um, she discovered the idea of practical jokes. And uh, <laughs> so Rachel, the victim, was on the top bunk, Emma decided as a practical joke, I'll get up before Rachel and remove the ladder. And then Rachel, at eight or nine, whatever, how old she was, gets out of bed and then just groggily starts to head to the ladder and then, boom, hits the floor and breaks her wrist. And all because of Emma. And, you know, and, I, and I use that story to just really say that it's like, okay, good intentions are not enough. Good intentions are not enough. So the Apostle Paul may have some good intentions here, but that is not enough. You're opposing God is what he's doing. And, and, and I think that's true with us, too. It's like, I, I think there are times in my life where, okay, there's no question that my intentions are wrong. 
But there's other times in my life where it's like, well, my, you know, I got some good intentions. There's other clues that the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Timothy 1 where he talks about God having mercy for him because he didn't understand. So I think that God does have some mercy for us not understanding fully what we're doing. But wrong is wrong. Opposing God is opposing God, even if you have good intentions. Right? I mean, it's like I want to go in the direction that God wants me to go. Ultimately, what God wants me to do, not, not what I think might be the right way. And, you know, in thinking about our own lives, it's like the trajectory of our life. I mean, Apostle Paul's heading out on this road to Damascus with paperwork, with murder on his heart. It's like, where are you right now? Like, like what's the road that you're on right now? Are you on a path where it's like, okay, I know that I'm headed to a place. I'm headed in a direction that's away from what God wants me to do. It's the wrong way. And then verse 3, Jesus intervenes. Now he went on his way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And, I, and just as a quick note, I, I think it's cool to see that Jesus is saying, you're persecuting me. It's, it's, it's personal to Jesus. Even though he's not the one receiving the persecution, it's his body that's receiving the persecution. God, this is the body of Christ. It is as much who Jesus is in other words, when we talk about spending time with Jesus, part of that is spending time with his body. Big deal. Verse 6, but rise, this is Jesus, but rise and enter the city and, I will, and, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he led him, led him by the hand. So they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. This is the point where Jesus intervenes in his life. This is I, I like to think of it as the the but God moment. I was going the wrong way, but God. And then the apostle Paul wrote Ephesians two one through seven. I'm going to have it on the screen here. And, and, and just look, notice the contrast be, between the but God. I mean, it's like who I was, who I am, who you are before Christ, and then who we are after. And, 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 and the language in here is just so stark. I mean, it's just like black and white. And I think that if, you know, when we're on the path that we're on right now, maybe it's away from the direction God wants you to go. It might feel okay. It might seem like it's the right thing. You might be afraid of the other direction he wants you to go on. But look at the way God looks at that path. Like it is really stark. And again, I think if we could somehow pull ourselves out from our pers- you know, where we are, where we just see what's right in front of us, and see our life from the perspective of God, I think it would just dramatically change things. I mean, because the Apostle Paul is headed to Damascus. He thinks he's serving God. But in reality, reality, it wasn't. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's like, oh my goodness, it's like even satanic. 
among whom we were all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God. The way that we are on is absolutely horrendous. But, but as horrendous as the, that is, the way that God, what he puts us on is as incredible and as beautiful as it could be. Right? I mean, I think too often we're like, we either are thinking like, the way that I'm on is not that bad. We kid ourselves, we kid ourselves. Or we think, I'm just so rotten and horrible and disgusting that I am not worth anything. But see what God has done for you. It's such a big deal. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I think another way of saying that last part is that like the more rotten you are, the more amazing and rich his immeasurable grace is. That's the kind of God that we have here. And I think that it's it's significant that the Apostle Paul gets blinded right there because, in my opinion, it, it, I don't know that it's super clear in the text. In my opinion, I, I'm not sure he's yet out, actually not yet saved. Like, like, he's encountered Jesus, but he hasn't quite gotten to the point of understanding salvation just yet. And, and I think that God blinded him so that he could clearly understand where he was before. Because before, he's like confident. He's one of the smartest guys around. He's got lots of power. He's on a mission for God, doing just fine. And then God humbled him, made it so he can't see. And he actually has got to be led by the hand. So he can really understand. It's like, this is where you are, Paul. You are blind and helpless. And then change his direction with some help. You know, and, and, and I think, too, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about, too, how it's like, I don't know, you guys could correct me if I'm wrong after the fact, but I, I can't think of a time where God evangelized or discipled somebody directly. Like, it's always God works through other people. In fact, there's no record even of Jesus baptizing any of his disciples. Now, he, he called his, his, his apostles, his disciples, but... Everybody that comes to Christ, everybody that hears the message of the gospel, everybody that grows in, their, in, in, in discipleship, it's done through other people. God works through other people. Um, I've, I've heard so many stories of, of missionaries like in, 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 in Muslim countries and other places where it's, it's, it's deadly to be an evangelist or a missionary where they'll have people that have a dream Basically, somebody has a dream where it's a very vivid dream of you need to go to this house and ask them about Jesus. And the missionary will get a knock at their door and somebody opens the door and says, I need to talk to you. And they come in and say, I need to ask you about Jesus. I mean, that's kind of the way I've heard that story from lots of different people. Now, I think God could evangelize people directly. I think that's completely in his nature. But I think he wants to work in and through his body. He wants to work in through his body. And look at how he does that here with uh, another guy. Uh, Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, "Here, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. 
at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. In other words, this guy's name has been spread. I mean, everybody knows who Saul is. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I mean, can you blame Ananias? I mean, like this dude is deadly. You're hiding from Saul. You hear him coming. You don't go out and meet him. But, in, but Chrissy, you know, Noted to me yesterday, it's like how many times in the Bible does somebody have a vision or they have an encounter with God and he tells them to do something and they're uncomfortable about it, but they're like, uh, what about, I'm not so sure about that, God. I mean, is it kind of funny to think about? It's like Moses has got a burning bush and he's like, I'm, I, you know, God, you know I can't talk. I'm not a very good communicator. It's just like, what? So on one hand, it's like Ananias, he's right. On the other hand, like Ananias, come on, man, you're getting a vision from God. But I think that's also true with me, to be honest, a lot of times. You know, I, I, I've, I've never had a vision. I've never had a dream. I've never experienced anything like that. But I have absolutely faced a fork in the road where I knew which way God wanted me to go without a shadow of doubt. And I don't go the way he wants me to go. We resist what God wants us to do all the time. And we kid ourselves and say, well, if there was a burning bush, then I'd do it. Or, you know, it's like, but, but be honest with yourself. You knew it wasn't the way he wanted you to go. You didn't need the burning bush. <clears throat> but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You know, as I was just meditating on that phrase, and you just think about all that the Apostle Paul went through in his life, and all the times that the Apostle Paul talks about his suffering and, and talks about what he went through, it is absolutely incredible to think about. What God has done. I mean, it's just the gravity of that statement. He is my chosen instrument. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I mean, starvation, severe beatings. I mean, the guy was stoned to the edge of, of death. I mean, he said that on my body I bear the marks of Christ. I mean, he probably had a, like, I mean, he probably looked like just somebody who'd been severely abused in his life. I mean, he, I mean, and I was just wondering about today. It's like, you know, there's a one time, and I'm forgetting now, it's out of my head, where, where they, he told, he, I think it was a centurion or somebody that was uh, harassing him, and the centurion said, you know, I had to pay for my, my citizenship. And Apostle Paul shocked him by saying, I was born into my citizenship. And I wonder if part of the shock was like, you do not look like a citizen of Rome. You look like you have been absolutely thrashed your entire life. I don't know, but I mean, the, what this guy went through in prison multiple times, death threats, loneliness, disease, mobs coming at him. And then, and then you just hear his heart dripping with pain when he writes to so many of these churches that have, are, are doing all these horrible things or walking away from her, disobeying what God's wanted. It's just he's feeling all the pain of like, I love you and I've suffered so much for you. 
when you're not following God. He's like, this guy went through the ringer. It's unbelievable. But person after person, life radically changed for God through his suffering. In verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Again, the same thing for us. We, we need a change in direction. And God always does that through people. He always helps us in those things through one another. God works through his body to build up the body. Is there something in your life? I mean, are you on a road that, that there needs to be a change? There's got to be a shift. And, and there, maybe there's some of the Holy Spirit. She's like, bring in your mind right now. It's like, okay, there's this. I, I need to change. I'm not going on the path that God wants me to go in this area. I would encourage you to talk to someone else. A, a brother or sister in Christ. Get the help that he's providing for you. God has always worked through one another. He has always done that for our growth. It's always happened that way. And, you know, we've, we've been talking about significant changes that we're going through and we're working on and we're seeking the Lord on. And we're excited about sharing more detail of, with that in the next couple of weeks. And I've talked to many of you. Um, we're going to talk about it in great detail in our family chat on Easter. So I hope that you're planning to come to that. But... These changes are at the heart of this issue, where we want to be obedient to God in the relationship that we have with one another. God has always worked through other people in our discipleship, in our growth, in our encouragement, in our help, in accountability. I mean, just go down the list. It is through the body of Christ that he works, and we want to be good at that. We want to master that. And that's at the heart of the changes that we're working on. And then uh, we'll go on to, he immediately launches, launches into mission. Verses 20 through 22, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Of those who called upon his name, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? I mean, this was shocking. This incredible, the number one opponent of Jesus now is standing in the synagogue declaring him as the son of God. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. The Jewish people had been looking forward to the Messiah He's saying, this is the Messiah. It is Jesus. Paul is now living his life on mission. And, and I think, you know, when you think about your life as a path, I think that your path is one of two ways. It is, it is an instrument of God in the same way, or it is a life of 
busy irrelevance. I, I, I think that when we are walking with God and Jesus has saved us, I think the number one thing that Satan will try to do is make us irrelevant. So I, I just want that person on the sideline. Let's just push them out of the way. I've lost that person. The best I can do is make them irrelevant. And I think it all, it's all about the path that we're on. It's all about where, where's God leading you? Am I, am I following him? Is he the one that's directing in the direction? And am I going the way that he wants me to go? And, 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 and please hear me. Like I said last week, that doesn't necessarily mean that you become a full-time pastor. It doesn't mean necessarily that you, you know, move to India and become a full-time missionary. I think it's living my life where God has me for him and for his mission, what, what he wants me to do with my life. You remember we talked about last week, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is that every bit of my life is controlled by Him. God, what do you want me to do with my time? God, what do you want me to do with my money? God, what do you want me to do with this relationship or with this gift or whatever it might be? God, it's yours, what you want to do. And, and again, we've said this over and over. I believe the main thing that God is doing in history is His redemptive plan for His glory. This is what God is doing. And the amazing thing is that we get to join him in that. We get to participate in that. And I think it's just a matter of this heart orientation. It's like, be honest about the fact maybe that I'm on the wrong path in this way. Be honest about that. God's grace is sufficient for that. How is Jesus trying to intervene in your life? I mean, is, is there a Bible verse that he's brought to mind? He's just ringing in your ears like you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. Or maybe it's another brother or sister who's telling you, hey, in this area going the wrong way. It's your conscience or the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's just lots of ways that Jesus is intervening in your life. Respond to him. Turn. And that turn is going to ha happen with some help. It's going to happen with some help of somebody else. Somebody else maybe in this room. Somebody else, you know, I don't know. God's going to lead it through his body so that you can be on mission with him so that you can join him in the work that he's doing. I, I don't know everybody's history here, but it, it is absolutely remarkable to think about that each and every one in this room, somebody gave them the gospel. There is somebody who told them the gospel. And, and maybe it was a bunch of people. Maybe, maybe it was through a book. Maybe it was through something on TV. or I mean, there's just so many different stories. You know, maybe, you know, again, it might have come from 10 sources, but it came from somebody. And, and the somebody that told them, it came from somebody. So in other words, you've got a spiritual parent, and, and then you've got a spiritual grandparent, and a great-grandparent. I mean, there's this line that can be traced of how God has worked through people. And it's going to, I mean, and, and again, I don't know the history of everybody in this room, but I would better guess that most people in this room, it's because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So... Your life, my life, is not going to necessarily be as significant in the grand historical, you know, significance of an Apostle Paul. But your life is significant to you, and your life is significant to the person that you're going to give the gospel to. The person that, that's sitting next to you, the person that's next door neighbor, the person that's co I mean, it's just God working through each of us. And really, it's God in our lives that's doing that power, and it's so incredible just... What an incredible, incredible thing that we get to participate in him. And, and, and as we transition to uh, the Lord's Supper, um, Michelle, you can come on up or whoever is going to lead the beginning of that. 
Um, you know, use this opportunity as we, as we prepare to just ask God, Lord, am I on the path that you have for me? Is there an area of my life that, that you need me to shift? You need me to change? God, is there an area of my life that you need me to let somebody else know about to get some accountability or some encouragement or some guidance or direction? And, and receive the grace that he has for you. I mean, the, it, it's, it's for you. If we think, if we think that we are not good enough, or if we think that our, our problem is so great, then how immeasurable is his grace? He specializes in the most broken. And it's just coming to God and saying, God, I'm broken. I am broken in this area. Forgive me and receive the grace that he has for you. He doesn't want you to work. He wants you to rest in what he has done for you on your behalf. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, and the truth that you've given us, Lord, and how you've revealed it to us, Lord, and how you used um, just a regular guy, even an enemy of yours, to do so much for your kingdom. And Lord, we know that you have a place and a work for each and every one of us, Father, and I pray that everyone that's hearing my voice, Lord, would become your workmen, Lord, your instruments for your kingdom. Lord, we don't know what kind of suffering you might have for us, but Lord, Father, we are ready for it. Whatever you have for us, Lord, in this lifetime, we look forward and hope to the day when you will return and set all that right, Lord, but we are willing to lay our lives down on behalf of other people. And Lord, let that be true of everyone in this room, Lord. Not what we want, but what is good for other people. Lord, for your glory, we want to see your, your kingdom expanded and more and, people, more and more people encounter your freedom and your love and your good news. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for his body. And now, Lord, we, we take these elements as an act of remembrance. Lord, help us to be reminded again, Lord, as, as each of those items hits our tongue, and as we chew and as we swallow, Lord, we are receiving the gift that you have given us, Lord. The greatest possible gift that you could give is yourself. Help us to be reminded again of your incredible love. Lord, we give you your, our sin. We give you our brokenness. And we receive again your righteousness and your love. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.